Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn like I need to to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we'll be continuing our series through the book of Exodus and the, the Ten Commandments this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Landon, and I am grateful to be one of the team members here with this, this church family we call Restoration. Last week, we talked about the fourth commandment, which is on Sabbath, and I kind of started our time sharing with you that I believe Sabbath, of all the Ten Commandments, is, is probably the one that can have the most significant immediate impact, like application in our lives today, which might sound funny because culturally it's something we're quite against or maybe just misunderstand, but I think the impact of Sabbath uh, is very, very significant and ways it can heal and restore and and cause unity for us spiritually, certainly, but relationally, physically, emotionally. There's so much health in Sabbath. And today, we move past the fourth commandment of Sabbath to the fifth. And as I've been kind of studying and praying through this fifth commandment, I think the fifth commandment might be, probably is, the commandment that has had the most impact in your life to the point where you're at today sitting on this chair. You might not think of it that way. Honestly, you probably don't think of this command too much unless you have little kids that don't listen and you want to tell them to listen. Then the fifth command might come to mind. Uh, But there's a lot packed into this one little command. It's been really interesting as we're studying these Ten Commandments. So much of what comes out, what comes to mind, what conversations are centered on uh, is is certainly the commands themselves, but also the unintended consequences of what has happened when these commands have been misunderstood. We've talked a fair amount throughout this series about how a really good God-given command taken in the wrong direction too far will pretty much always lead to extremely harmful results continuously. And many of you have experienced that from some of these Ten Commandments taken by men in unhealthy, ungodly ways, away from the opposite direction of what God's vision was for that command. As we've talked about these commands, we've talked about how it's really critical not just to look at the words on the page, but to go, what was the vision that Yahweh God, this one and true faithful God, had for his people entering a new land? That's the context we have for these Ten Commandments. They spent 400 years, which is important also to translate not just in years, but generations. Multiple generations in Egypt, in Egypt oppressed, enslaved, abused where they grew accustomed to values, and they actually would be very prone to passing those values down to the next generation, even though they were no longer in Egypt. And so here comes this faithful and good God that says, before we enter this land, there's almost this cleansing in the desert to establish a new vision, a new way of life. And the beginning of that vision and way of life is these 10 commandments. Go ahead and read. I'm going to start in verse 1 of Exodus 20, but we'll get to to verse 12. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. 
Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations. There's so much about generations. Of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, of Yahweh your God, because Yahweh will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is certainly the command I have the most conversations with all of you about. Now, typically, this verse, this command is not quoted, but this topic is discussed. What's intriguing about it is that uh, there's a couple different kind of perspectives that we need to consider this command kind of with. The first is fairly obvious. They're entering a new land with a new core family dynamic. And so uh, a key to health in this new land for future generations and long-term health that God is promising to them is a core family unit. That there's children that listen to their parents and there's parents that are worthy of their children listening to. And that's important. It's, it's actually pretty intriguing if you uh, kind of just open your eyes at all in our culture. There's all kinds of groups and, and parties and whatnot trying to convince the rest of us in our culture that the family unit and family structure bears no value. In fact, often they might say the family unit as we've known it is harmful, which at times it has been when it's misused, misunderstood. What's intriguing, though, is as people make these kind of arguments and and cast a vision of a, a family without a traditional family unit, what happens is it seems in the midst of all the, the chaos and drama and gaping holes left in lives, they continue to make the point that a family unit is needed pretty desperately. And that's a part of the vision that God is casting here. What is a core family unit where parents are honorable and worthy of their children listening to them? But that's not all. Uh, One commentary I read this week said it this way. The old rabbis considered the fifth commandment to be the most difficult in the whole of the law. When I read this commandment initially, that's not what I think. The reasons for this were economic since they impose a lifelong burden on the breadwinners. Here's where this command gets uh, pretty intriguing and interesting. First and foremost, this command is not primarily directed at seven-year-olds. When I read this command, I don't know why I don't currently have a seven-year-old. I think of seven-year-olds, though. The seven-year-olds, boys and girls alike, need to listen to their parents. At seven, there's just like an extra amount of craziness that just happens. And so when we think of this command, we think, hey, you seven-year-olds, honor your father and mother, listen to what they say, and do that. But actually, when we dive into this, 
it's pretty easy to make the argument that this command is not written primarily, somewhat, but not primarily to young children. This command is written primarily to adult children, which changes how we then understand it. The reason it's economic is because at the beginning of every one of our lives that are sitting here, something we've all shared completely and totally in common is that when we're born, we are completely and utterly and totally useless and utterly dependent on unconditional love. You have nothing to contribute except what fills the diapers. That's it at that point. And then we live our lives and we get to the end. And do you know how it ends? We have nothing to contribute at that point. And we're fully dependent on the unconditional love of another. And guess what happened in Egypt where they just came from? This is why context matters so much. People's lives in and of themselves, human men and human women, human boys and human girls were not valued for being human. They were valued for what they could contribute. So all of a sudden, as they're entering in a new land with a God who's going to give them a new vision of what life should look like, what he's articulating in this command is not just about the relationship between parents and children. It's about human life and dignity and that it matters and in and of itself it is valuable, even when a human can't contribute. We've all probably heard stories of, historical or not, uh, a certain culture or village where a baby girl is born, and that baby girl is thrown outside of the village, left to die. Why? Because she's not worth as much to that village or tribe as a baby boy would be, and so she's not worth the cost of raising her because she's female and not male. Or other accounts or stories or whatever they might be of of somebody who has some sort of handicap, some other challenge when they're born, and so they too are cast out because once again, they can't contribute in the way that society says they need to, and so they're not worthy of the cost of being raised which is a really terrible, harsh reality. Ironically, we're not that far from that today, though. Maybe it's shifted. Terms we use have changed. But we have a massive issue on both the side of of children being born and the side of death. How do we treat those whose life is coming to a close? Do Christians honor their parents any different as they age than non-Christians? What does that say about the way we love and value people? It's so beautiful, like deeply, profoundly beautiful and unbelievably unique about King Jesus. There's no other king, no other God, no other ruler, no other government structure, because that's what he provides here in Exodus, values people the way that Jesus does, unconditionally. And that doesn't mean without cost. Unconditional love actually has a real high price tag. We'll talk about that later. Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. As a a quick side note, that promise is more descriptive than prescriptive, meaning that's a promise that Yahweh God made to a specific people having just exited out of Egypt and entering the new promised land. So it's not a promise to us if you want to live really long. It's not this guarantee. 
It's a description, not a prescription. However, if you read kind of the the course of all of the scriptures, Old Testament, wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, into the, the New Testament, the Gospels and Epistles, there's a lot about parenting. And in essence, this wisdom literature says, yeah, this is kind of true. If you look at just the scope, do a survey of health in our country, if people that have this type of family dynamic typically there's more health, pretty much in every way. Now, not holistically, but physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, where there is this core family unit, there's a different level of health. Now, that's not exclusive. Here's the beauty of of this book. The beauty of this book is Jesus is constantly diving into the places where that doesn't exist to bring the healing and restoration he wants for people. Why? Because he loves. Again, honor your father and your mother. This is uh, one of those verses, one of those commands where we have to spend a little bit of time going, what does this not mean? Before we can dive into to maybe what it does mean. And the, the first thing I think we need to discuss is that to honor, in the context of father and mother, does not mean unquestioned compliance. Does not mean whatever mom and dad say goes no matter what. Now, obviously, as children are born and they're really tiny, as they grow up, there's going to be this slow shift. At first, they just need to listen because their life literally depends on it. As they grow, though, unquestioned compliance is not the command here. That's not the intent and what is given. However... And those of you that are feeling this right now know this. There's been many times when especially a father, mothers as well though, have utilized this passage to justify a type of parenting and authority that has done immense harm. For some of you sitting in this room just to come and join a community that we call church on a Sunday morning has taken an absurd amount of courage because of maybe what your past has entailed, maybe because of how this command was misused in wrong ways. It's why the commands right before it are actually so important. There's this command not to misuse the name of the Lord. This actually might be a good example of ways that the name of the Lord has been misused to justify an ungodly, unchrist-like, un-Yahweh-like type of authority. Authority is needed. The, the scriptures are really clear of that. And it's also often a power that's very gravely misused. It's important here, too, to remember that these Ten Commandments are Ten Commandments. They're not ten isolated individual commandments. There's an order to the commands, and that order matters. They're done in sequence. We talked last week how the first three are about our relationship with God. The fourth is this bridge of sorts, and then the remainders are about our relationships with other humans and people. We have to remember that this fifth commandment is in submission to the first. There's probably a time in every human's life when they're going to have to choose in some form or fashion. It could be large, could be small, between listening to the call of God and listening to the call or voice. Maybe the best way to say it is the influence of their parents, mother or father. And in this, the sequence is given. Hopefully there's alignment, but there's not always going to be alignment. The call and the command of Yahweh God comes first. I read it this way this week. The fifth commandment is controlled by the first. 
The Acts of the Apostles draws the correct conclusion. We must obey God rather than men. Is there a need for parents to be able to instruct and teach and guide their children? Absolutely. Is there a need for discipline? 100%. Is there a need for kids to have parents worthy of listening to? And do they need to listen? Absolutely. That is different, though, than perhaps the unquestioned compliance that has been demanded at certain times. Not founded in love, but again, founded in a grasping for control. Second thing that honor does not mean. We have a command to honor your father and mother. This type of honor does not mean worship your father and mother. Now, I'm getting all kinds of blank stares, which I fully expected. Here's why. Nobody in their right mind would be like, yep, I worship mommy and daddy. That doesn't make sense. To worship your father and mother is not something that we would think is ever a possibility. You might be thinking, you don't know my father and my mother because I would never worship my father or mother. Matter of fact, I don't even like my father or mother. You have no clue what pain or realities my father or mother cause. That's unfortunately a common reality. And the more you kind of just agreed with the things I just said, even internally, unfortunately, not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but the greater chance that you worship your father or your mother. Let me explain some of this a little bit. If we think back to old times, old days, a different kind of God that was worshipped, there were certainly times that nations or tribes or individuals would worship gods they liked or loved, gods they actually had relationship with. Oftentimes, though, worship was not at all about relationship. Worship was a means to an end. Worship was a means to survival. Worship and the sacrifices given were a means to crops growing and and literally continuing to live another day. And so oftentimes what happened is people worshiped gods they did not like. They could even worship gods they hated and detested because they believed those gods were in control And so that control led to influence and worship was the result. I have like this working theory. I'm not going to call it factual, nor am I going to call it biblical, but bear with me and you can judge my, my theory for yourself. My theory is this. What if daddy issues or mommy, that happens too, just not as much. What if daddy issues are actually a form of misplaced worship? What if wounds from your father or your mother are actually a form, a variety, a type of misplaced worship? So be honest with me and with yourself for just a moment, maybe not visibly or audibly, but how many of you, in honesty, have spent your life or a really significant portion of your life or portion of your emotions, your heart or your time thinking, your effort, your energy? How many of you have spent a significant portion of your life seeking to do one of two things? Either please or make your father proud or your mother proud. How much of a driving force has that been for you? Or on the other side of the same coin, how many of you have spent a significant portion of your life seeking to prove your father wrong or prove your mother wrong about what they might have spoken over you or instilled or the value system they created? 
Let's go back to the beginning here of Exodus 20 and tie some of this together. Then God spoke all these words. After he saved them from oppression and slavery and abuse, meaning a really significant place for generations of influence, after that, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. I loved how how Nate taught on this. Do not have other gods besides me, other judges and influencers who sit at a place of the same amount of authority and influence. Could it be possible, if you're honest with yourself, that in your efforts to please or make your father or mother proud, or in your efforts to prove your father or mother wrong, that you've given them a place of influence so great that all of a sudden they sit besides Yahweh God? when it comes to influence? Is it possible that mother or father, in good ways or bad, have caused such a motor and engine in your life that they sit besides God in terms of influence? Could it be, though we never speak of it this way, that that's a form of worship? Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Honor does not mean unquestioned compliance. Honor does not mean worship. In your life, is it possible that... Honor has come to mean one of those two things in the context of relationship with parents. What does honor then actually mean? The Hebrew verb carries this meaning to allow him or her due weight and importance, to take that person seriously, not wantonly, to underestimate him or her. That is to honor. So to honor is not unquestioned compliance, to honor is not worship. It's actually going to continue in this this vein, this category of holiness that we've been talking about throughout these commandments. There's this holiness, this set-apartness for this relationship. Whether it's good or bad, it's to be valued and honored. Jeremy, can you throw that back up? to be honored. It's important to differentiate those things. Worship, unquestioned compliance, and honor. It's kind of like we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Relationally, biblically, those are different things. Hopefully, biblical forgiveness can lead to reconciliation and another connection. That's not always the case. That's the pursuit we're supposed to have. The scriptures do, though, leave some examples of where that actually is not best. And so there's separate steps. Honor here is unique, especially in the context of honoring your parents for adult children, not young children. There's a cost that comes at, at this command. Honor your father and your mother. I love to think about the beauty of the vision God casts for us, for our families, for our friends, our neighborhoods, our businesses, in the context of our culture. You know what our culture loves to do is 
often as possible. <laughs> Dishonor people. <laughs> like, take whatever amounts of honor there are and just strip it away as fast and often as possible. How refreshingly unique and gospel-like, Christ-like would it look like to give honor, doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation, but to give honor to those in our lives, let alone those who probably have carried the greatest influence in your life, or at the very least, a very significant influence. To the way, or is there a difference? Could outsiders spot out that there's something unique about how we honor our parents? Regardless of relationship, because there's a whole mixed bag in here, some really healthy relationships we've had with our parents and some really unhealthy relationships we've had with our parents. As we've been saying, I think it's so critical to look at the vision. What's the core of this command? What is, what is the picture that, that Jesus is painting when he gave this command to his people? What's he protecting from? What is he trying to create? I think we, we get a picture of it in Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14. I'm gonna read in verse seven. Side note, what's intriguing about verse 7 of Luke chapter 14 is that Luke 14, 1 through 6 is all about Sabbath, the fourth commandment, and then Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 7, is in essence about this core dynamic of the fifth. Listen, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. We noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you were invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friends, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Not too unlike how Pharaoh attempted to exalt himself, and he was humbled. And then in Christ's humility, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And then his name was exalted as the name above every other name. Verse 12, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Side note, this isn't actually saying don't invite any of the people you know and like. It's making a point beyond that. Because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This picture is the biblical ethic. This picture is the way of Jesus. This picture is actual, true, unconditional love, which, as I mentioned at the beginning, has a high price. What the, the core of this fifth commandment is doing is saying this is how we ought to view and love people. We view people with the price tag that Jesus himself put on their lives, which is what? His life. Doesn't get higher than the life of our God. And Jesus says value people, all people in that way, regardless of, as he pointed out in Luke, whether or not they can currently contribute to your life. That looks different in the midst of a culture stripping honor away to give honor to those who might not even be worthy. 
there's a cost to unconditional love. Maybe it's not finances. It was in this day and still could be very much uh, as we talk about the expenses that can come at the end of life. But maybe the, the cost is that. Maybe the cost is different. Maybe it is reflecting on the impact parents have had, good or bad. Maybe it's assessing in the midst of this complexity, what does it look like to honor mother or father in health? It might not be reconciliation, but what does it look like to honor maybe someone who doesn't even really deserve it? Because at its foundation, it's brutally hard and it's the way of Jesus, as it was brutally hard and terrible for our Christ to be hung on a cross, giving up his life, saying here's the price tag for those who were killing him. That while we were still sinners, that's when he died for us. The way of Jesus is not easy. It's good, so good. It's not easy though. So there's this complexity to jump into of honor, of value, of love. Not worship, which we have a tendency to do. Because our parents were great or our parents might have been terrible or somewhere in between. Not unquestioned compliance. There's differentiation here. The fifth is in submission to the first commandment. But the world would take notice if we honored our parents. If we valued and loved in appropriate ways, in healthy ways. And so I'll close with this. My, my prayer is... I was studying this, recognizing that this indeed is the topic I talk to all of you the most about. Not just seven-year-olds, I don't talk to them that much. But 17 and 27 and 37-year-olds, you wanna know who I talk to the most probably about this? Like 47, 57, 77-year-olds. That's the people that are still working through this because it matters, it's significant. And the good news in that this is where the spirit comes in. That it's not your effort. It's not your job to fix this, to figure out even what it means, but an independence to go, Jesus, I want what you want. Jesus, I want to honor people how you've called me to. Jesus, I want to love how you love. And when we submit ourselves to that, Jesus works. The spirit shows up. And so we'll, we'll close our time uh, worshiping in the form of communion. When we do that, we embrace the power of Jesus, that he indeed gave up his life, valuing people that much, and that he rose. And that sometimes he causes us, he calls us to do challenging things that are complex, but he never calls us to go into that alone. He promises he will rise, he has risen, he will step and walk with us every place he calls us into, even if that's honoring someone that might be challenging. Maybe it isn't challenging. Maybe it's beautiful. Maybe it's just easy, and that's good too. It matters just as much. The good news here is that the Spirit calls us to follow him, not to lead, not to go and do ourselves, but to allow the work of Christ, the same power that rose him from the dead, to work in our hearts, to lead us to honor. Let's pray. Jesus, you have offered every one of us your love that surpasses all understanding. As we seek to embrace your words and your teaching and your way, I pray first that you would just overwhelm everyone in this room with your love. That your love 
bears no conditions on us. Your love is aware of our worst and it still chooses us because that's who you are. Father, I ask that out of the outpouring and understanding of that love that you would help us to love and honor others. Work in our lives so that the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of reconciliation when appropriate, the beauty of being generous with honor can be known in your name because you are good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, and if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.